0: Hey Beaver Nation, it's time to get inside the huddle with the DAMN Podcast. The DAMN Podcast is your weekly ticket to Oregon State football and recruiting news. Here's your host of the DAMN Podcast, BeaverBlitz.com publisher, Angie Machado. Hey,
1: welcome in to another episode of the DAMN Podcast. It is 2020 been a wacky and wild year, but Carter and I are back. We're going to bring back the damn podcast for a weekly look at inside Oregon State football. Carter, how are you?
0: Uh, busy, but I finally got a day off from homework today, so uh, good to get back onto the pod for the first time since they shut everything down.
1: Yeah, it's been a while. Um, you and I have just been counting the days till we could get back and talk football. The team now is a week into practice, a little over a week, I guess. We're, we're taping this on a Sunday. We are three weeks away from the start of the football season. How excited are you at first? I mean, just here starting off. How excited are you that football's back?
0: Pumped. It's just so nice to have new uh, new storylines to talk about, and and for the season to be back, so that we can talk about real football and not, you know, look back at past years and stuff and. Um, it's exciting because I think the Beavers are in for a a pretty solid year and yeah, just overall just really glad that sports are back, but even more glad that Oregon State football is finally gearing up.
1: Have have you watched any of the college NCAA football that's been on Saturdays?
0: Some. It's just not the same without Pac-12 and I know, you know, state of the Pac-12 might not be the greatest, but I still think it's some of the most exciting football out there. Um, So I haven't been tuning in as much, but
1: I catching Pac-12 some of after catching after some of the big games. I miss that Pac-12 after
0: dark. It's weird not having games on at 8 p.m. No. You know, watching those SEC games at three o'clock just isn't the same.
1: Not the same as like sitting on the couch in your comfies, ready to go for the evening, and just settled in to watch football. But um, mm-hmm. the leaves are back. The biggest difference for us is we are used to watching fall camp and being able to watch practice and really kind of get a feel for who's looking good, who's struggling, who's practicing, who's not. And now practice has been closed. Um, we don't, we get four media sessions a week where I feel like the, the coaches are, are pretty quiet. We basically have to dig for the information we, we want. Um, Carter, what is your feeling going into, you know, just not being able to see the, the team prepare?
0: I think the biggest thing for me is I, I miss being able to see which individual guys are standing out. Um, It's pretty fun to go there and and kind of key in on two or three guys and just watch them throughout the practice to see how they're doing. But now it's totally just relying on what we're hearing from the coaches. And to be fair, they have given us a good amount of information on, um, you know, for example, like Zariah Beeson. Every single person who we've talked to has mentioned that he's looked really good. So we do get some of that, but it's just it's a whole different thing to get to actually see it. Um, Especially
1: like when you're talking quarterbacks right now. We're not able to see who's, who's looking good, who's having, you know, kind of consistent days. Um, I, I still, let's, let's just dive right in. Um, I kind of had this plan, this podcast plan to talk about kind of the position groups. So Carter, let's just jump right in. Um, my plan for this podcast is to really just preview position groups. And I think the one position group that kind of is in everyone's forefront is who replaces Jake Luton um, at quarterback. From what we're hearing, do you think it's Tristan Jebbia? Do you think Nick Moore jumps to the top? Or do you think one of the newcomers in Chance Nolan and Ben Goebrandson, do you think one of those guys ends up starting game one?
0: You know, it's interesting because in the last couple of years, Oregon State's had a quarterback competition for the last, I don't know, really since Sean Mannion left. But it's normally just one or two guys who are competing really up until game one. Now it's like we have Tristan Jebbia up here at QB one, and then we've got three guys who are, you know, potentially in the mix for that QB two spot. But I think whoever lands at QB two is actually going to get a fair amount of playing time this year. So um, I, I do think that Jebbia is still the pretty clear front runner. Um, we actually put a story out on on Beaver Blitz on Saturday talking about how he's um, how he has kind of assumed that leadership role in the group and helping everybody else out. Um, because it's a next man up type of situation in a crazy year where who knows what could happen but I think it's Jebby at the top and then really between the other three guys Goldbergson, Nolan and and Moore I would not be shocked to see any of them on the field.
1: Yeah I I what I love you and I've talked we talk every day after the the media session and I love Tristan Jebby as Moxie. I mean he just oozes leadership. Um, I've heard from so many players and coaches that he's a guy that the locker room really rallies behind. They, they appreciate his leadership. And even he says all the right things. He wants to be a guy that helps the team, no matter whether he's playing or he's not. But then, you, like I said, you got a guy like Nick Moore, who um, has constantly kind of been on the radar there. And then we keep hearing about Ben Goldbrandson and having, you know, I think Lindgren said this week that he was the best, had the best arm of any freshman he's ever coached. Um, and then they said Chance Nolan was starting to kind of look comfortable in the, in the system. I w- I'm with you. I think it's Tristan Jebbia's job to lose, and I'm excited after seeing what he did in the Civil War to see kind of how he takes that next step. Okay, so talking about running backs, do you think this year is a, you know, Jamar Jefferson now is 100% healthy, which he wasn't last year. Um, do you think this is a year we see Jamar kind of get the lion's share of those carries, or do you think we see a running back by committee with, you know, BJ and Calvin and maybe a a Teron Madison and and newcomer Isaiah Newell?
0: Well, healthy Jermar is huge for this team because, I mean, we saw his freshman year, what he can do when he's at full strength. And I think two years, two years removed from that, considering how much time he's had to strengthen up and everything, I think he could be in for a massive year as long as he stays healthy, which has been somewhat of an issue, but I think as long as he's healthy, he's out there as as the guy I think he's getting the lion's share of of carries but I do expect to see BJ BJ Baylor um, make a pretty big presence Uh, we saw last year how dynamic a two running back approach can be in this Brian Lindgren Jonathan Smith offense and I think I mean BJ Baylor's I mean he's good enough to be a starting running back in this league so I think we see a lot of him I would I would love to see Calvin Tyler, uh, Teron Madison get out there. I don't know how many carries will be left over after those two guys uh, split, but both of those guys have electric speed, and um, Madison in particular I think is going to be a big part of the offense moving forward as he continues to mature and develop um, now in year two going into the rest of his Oregon State career. So I'd be excited to see him out there, but I do think it's it's mostly Jermar, but I think also Baylor is going to – pretty big presence.
1: Yeah, so I I agree. I, I think the running game is such a big part of this offense. So let's just go which way do I want to go? Let's talk offensive line because I think that aside from quarterback, offensive line replacing three longtime starters is going to be a, a big chunk and a big piece for Oregon State. Now, you and I've talked before we both have the utmost in confidence and respect in Coach Mahalichek. I think if anyone could, you know, kind of make magic out of that group it's going to be him but um you know what are your thoughts heading into um filling three new shoes and and then also with the news that Onesimus Clark is is off, has opted out this year and you know we had him penciled in as one of the the guys on the two D.
0: yeah you know I actually think that this group has gone into the past couple seasons with the most to prove and they've proved it. I mean, look at last year. We, we, this was the same storyline, had to replace a couple of starters, and what do you know? They've improved a ton. Um, I don't think that's going to be any different this year. I look at the guys who are coming back, and Brandon Kick, Brandon Kipper, Noose, you know, I mean, these guys are proven competitors on the offensive line, and sure, it's going to hurt to lose your left tackle in, in Brandell, and you're the best guard you've had in years in Lavaca, but I mean, there are guys on this on this too deep that are coming back who Beaver fans haven't necessarily seen yet, but we've we've had the privilege of seeing them in in fall camp and in the spring last year. Um, we know what they're capable of, and there's really no drop off in production when these guys come in. And I think with Coach Michal Coach Mihalichuk, uh leading them, I, I think people are going to be pleasantly surprised by what they see.
1: I. Who are you most excited about on the offensive line?:
0: That's a good Who's
1: question
0: about uh, Probably Kipper just I, I want to see what kind of development he can, he can make um, after being in the starting lineup for a full year. I want to see him kind of cut back on those procedural penalties, you know limit the false starts and everything, but outside of him, I, I'm really excited to see Joshua Gray. See
1: that, I was um, going to say those two tackles are, in my opinion they could go down as two of the best tackle combos we've had at burning State, maybe ever. That's,
0: 100%. Yeah, Josh Gray's had... I mean, had, are, I
1: mean the, the sky's the limit for both of those guys.
0: Yeah, Gray's had a couple of years to, to kind of develop as a gray shirt and then a red shirt. So he comes in to his, his first year starting as a red shirt freshman, I believe. Yeah. So um, And then yeah, this year's I mean, that's, like a, that's a freebie, something to be excited right? about. Mm-hmm.
1: It's, a, it's a freebie year. So yeah, think about that.
0: Yeah, you'll have Josh Gray next year as a redshirt freshman, being on campus for three years. Um, that's going to be huge moving forward. But yeah, I think I think the tackles, uh, the tackles alone can carry this line. I mean, they're they're going to be good. It's the wild cards are Nathan Eldridge. Is he healthy? Can he be a difference maker in the middle of the line? Um, we know what we're going to get out of Noose. He's a versatile, uh, strong competitor in the trenches, and then maybe Corbin Sorensen steps in and, and starts as a fifth-year player.
1: Yeah. I liked he, – he met with the media, and it was fun to listen to him. Um, okay, another group that – I just see this as a, a running back – or a, a wide receiver by committee. You know, you're replacing a lot of production with the loss of Isaiah Hodgins. The so just have to replace that. But when I look at the wide receivers, I don't see one guy that, like, necessarily stands out as a go-to guy. I see a, I see a, a lot more speed than we've seen from the speed versus wide receiver group in a long time. And I see a lot of guys that I'm kind of, I just want to see that next step. Who are you most excited to see in that wide receiver room?
0: I think Trevon Bradford might kind of step into that role of the go-to receiver. Um, the amount of time he's been at Oregon state gives him kind of a leg up on some of the other guys. Um, he's shown speed, you know, he's been electric in the return game throughout his career Um, he, he obviously missed a lot of last season with an injury, but that allowed him to come back for a fifth year here. And I, I think he's going to make the most of it. Um, I really would like to see Tajon Lindsey take the next step. He's got that chemistry with Tristan Jebia, having played with him at Nebraska and now being in the system with him for a couple of years. I think he's got the tools to be a pretty special receiver in this offense and, I know that Brian Lindgren's everything he can to get him the ball, whether it's downfield or, you know, in, in a fly sweep type formation, I'm excited to see what he can do. And then, I mean, there's a, a plethora of there's guys out funny. there, but I mentioned, mm-hmm. I mentioned Zariah Beeson earlier. Yep. I, I genuinely think that he could potentially start a couple of games this year, just based off of what we've heard coaches, his fellow teammates. And then what we saw in the four practices in the spring because he was an early enrollee he was impressive in the spring in what should have been his senior year of high school so the one thing with Beeson that I think kind of gives him an advantage is his ability to get open downfield something that we've seen be an issue for the receiving core outside of Isaiah Hodgins the last couple of years Beeson can get open and he's got speed he's got strength so as a true freshman, I, I look for him to make a pretty big impact, actually. Yeah,
1: I, I, I'm excited. Just like you said earlier in the pod, we have heard every every single person that's come to the podium to talk to us, basically, offense, defense, have all mentioned you know Zariah as being someone that stands out. And I think Coach Smith mentioned the other day that they've lined him up in a couple different positions, and he's done well in both. Like I said, Colby Taylor's one, I think, kind of like Trevon in that has that leadership quality and can just make the big play, third down kind of guy, kind of reminds me, Timmy Hernandez if you kind of go back in the day a little bit um, or Brandon Powers that kind of receiver that possession receiver that I went way back Brandon Powers I don't even remember when that was but that was a long time ago Um, but that kind of guy um, gosh there's a lot and then I'm excited to see some of the speed from Anthony Gould and Josiah Irish and to see what what that does you know what what that top end speed can do for the the offense and then last the last group on offense are the tight ends and that is another group, you know, we talk about Zariah Beeson being brought up, but every single person I talk to has brought up the tight ends is really standing out. So, um, you know, Tegan Quatoriano um, is more of that, you know, blocking tight end, but has also made some catches we've heard in the first week of camp. Um, Luke Musgrave is another one to, uh, has, has really kind of taken a step forward. And then we've also heard to keep an eye out on the two young guys, Tommy Spencer and Jake Overman. Um, I, that's the thing with this You're not counting, I have a feeling we're going to see a lot of young guys
0: playing. 100%. And to put it into perspective how many weapons Oregon State has this year, we just mentioned like seven receivers, big, <laughs> big year, throw in four tight ends. I mean, there are playmakers everywhere.
1: And then why? You and you and the running backs. <laughs> mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And you mentioned Luke Musgrave. I think he's, I, I mean, I could see him having a monster year because. He did play quite a bit last year. We just didn't really see him used in the passing game a whole lot. That's going to be his role. I mean, the, the guy's, I mean, he's huge. He's got so much strength, so he can block for sure. But to have somebody like that at, I don't know how tall he is, 6 six or something, I mean, he's, he's a giant.
1: He's like he's a Stanford a huge, wide receiver. Huge
0: target. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I mean, to, to throw him, throw to him in the end zone. That's going to be a major, major weapon. And I think they're going to go to him a lot, especially in the red zone. And then we've seen what Tegan can do in some of those um, gadget plays where, you know, he lines up as a blocker and then out of nowhere just darts downfield for 30 yards. I think we'll see more of that as well. And we saw a lot of, a lot of him downfield in spring camp as well. He looks like a natural receiver now.
1: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. He's taking that next step. So flipping sides now to the ball. You know what surprised me the most? I pro- maybe should have led with this, but this is, this one piece has surprised me probably more than anything. Because I know a lot of people were upset um, when Jordan Whitley and I, I mean he has a he has a tumor on his heart that we we've talked about on Beaver Blitz. We don't know if it's cancerous or not yet, but he is not participating right now. Um, Coach Smith has not ruled him out for the season yet. Um, but I think there was a lot of people saying, "Oh wow, what's the D line going to look like without the big guy up front, up in the middle?" But I have been really surprised to hear how much the D line is dominating early in fall camp.
0: Yeah. I mean, it it is surprising. I think in the sense that the last time Oregon state had a really dominant defensive line was, I mean, six, seven years ago, probably. But when you look at the personnel they bring back, I mean, it's not entirely shocking to hear guys like uh, Simon Sandberg has been uh, I believe it was Corbin Sorensen said that he was the hardest guy to block. Yeah, um, doesn't surprise me. He's a natural pass rusher who's going to wreak a whole lot of havoc. Uh, Isaac Hodgins is a complete stud in the run game. It's going to be defensive tackle by committee, even if Whitley was it. in the rotation. Yeah, but I, I, there's there's depth there now at this position that I think they haven't had in a long time, and that's really going to show up when. You've got three guys rotating through potentially, and and there's no drop off when a new guy comes in.
1: Yeah, and then I think you you go you it just is a, such a good transition. And then when you go right to probably the well, it, not probably it is the strength of the entire team, and that's linebackers. I mean, look at that linebacker group. We've we've heard from the coaches, both offense and defense, just how strong that inside backer group is with um, Avery, Omar, um, Doug. I'm going to miss guys here. Kyrie, um, you got this huge, you know, you're two deep. There is amazing. You probably actually have three deep and then the outside linebackers with, you know, that group. And and we heard from Addison Gum saying he's feeling better than he ever has. What are your thoughts? I mean, this outside, or the linebacker group as a whole special.
0: If you need a reason to get excited about Oregon state in 2020, just look at the linebacker group. I mean, this is, This is probably, I mean, I would say it might not even be an argument at this point. This is the best linebacker group in the conference by far. Depth, ability, I mean, they literally have it all inside and outside. Hamaker Rashid coming back is massive. I mean, I think he's going to, he could average two or three sacks a game and I wouldn't be surprised. Addison Gums to get him in there, huge. Because we saw what he did against Oklahoma State, against Hawaii until he got hurt. He's a proven playmaker albeit small sample size, but to have him on one side and Rashid on the other, that's absolutely terrifying for a quarterback. Oh,
1: completely. And then you have the other then, in the middle with Avery and Omar. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you're returning a
0: freshman All-American in Omar Spades. You've got Avery Roberts who led the team in tackles. I mean, the only the only guy they lose is Shamar Smith and he was hurt the last half of the season. So, you know, we've seen what this group looks like with him without him already just imagine what everybody looks like a year older a year stronger uh i this defense is going to be insane i mean if, that front if only for the if only for the linebackers
1: yeah i mean the front seven though i haven't been this excited about a front seven at oregon state in years
0: the pass rush i mean is that might be the biggest strength of this oregon state team but yeah i mean we've mentioned the inside linebackers multiple times i think guys like Rashid get all of the, the headlines or the, you know, all of the attention for the sacks and the tackles for loss and everything, but I mean, it cannot be overstated how good this inside linebacker group is. And I think you're going to see them stuff the run game completely. I mean, that's been a, a, a theme throughout the first week of camp between the defensive line and the inside linebackers. There has been a complete domination of the run game. It's just, it's exciting. Is yes, what it super is.
1: And yeah, and what the other thing that makes me excited, Carter, is when I'm talking to sources and things around the program and people that I know, the swagger that the defense plays with. I mean, hearing from people about just how confident this defense is playing right now and it's only one week into camp, that's pretty exciting because it's just going to make them stronger as they go. Um, the big question mark then, I guess, for defense would be the DVs. What are your thoughts about the defensive backfield?
0: Completely new group this year, and I'm equally as excited about them because I think they could make potentially the biggest leap of any position group on this team. When you look at the personnel that they've got now uh, getting those four junior college DBs, bringing back most of their starters from last year, Uh, they do lose Jalen Moore and Sean Wilson, but everybody else is back essentially David Morris is healthy, which is huge to have, you know, your, your number one safety back. Um, and I just think the length back there, Coach Blue Adams preaches length, goes and gets length on the recruiting trail, and he's got it now. And yeah. I think we're going to see that show up. I think they're going to force turnovers left and right, which is something that they've really struggled with. Uh, the ability to get in the passing lane with the length and then the combination of speed that they have as well back there now, uh, that's going to be a dangerous group.
1: Yeah, yeah, I and I, the thing that I think can't be overstated enough is this is a group now that's had the same coach for a couple of years. So the, the terminology is there. They know what expectations. I mean, this was a group that think back to dating back to when Coach Anderson was here. I mean, how much turnover they had at that position for the coaching staff. So you have Coach Blue now, and uh, they know what, what's expected. So out of the four JUCO guys, one, Jonathan Riley, we have learned did opt out for the season. Um, but you still have Ronald Harge, Rayjean Wright, and Alton Julian. So um, what I'm anxious to see, so you, like you said, David Morris, number one safety. The other side, I'm, I'm interested to see what they do, because I've heard Alton Julian has been playing some safety there, and then also Mason Moran is back. So he's up to, I think, 205, 208, something like, around there. So um, I'm anxious to see kind of what what he does. I think he's kind of the forgotten piece that people don't talk about, but um you know, after that shoulder surgery, he had out for the season. I mean, to see what he can do and to see what Alton Alt Julian can do too, because I, I kind of had him locked in as a corner when he was being recruited, but sounds like he's been working out with the safety some. And then when you look at the corners, uh, you have Jaden Grant, Nickelback. And I think he, he was starting to kind of really come alive, I think toward the mid to end of the last year and Nashon Wright. I think he really kind of started to come into his own those last three or four games of the season. So i um, excited what we'll see. And like you mentioned, the length is the biggest thing I think we, we see for Oregon State back in the backfield.
0: And two guys that we haven't mentioned yet, Achille Arnold is also back at safety. He started four games, I believe, last year, redshirted. Um, hard to believe that he redshirted with the amount of action that we saw out of him. It seems like he was in every game, really. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it, yeah, it's, it's huge to get him, at, him back with, some experience under his belt. I don't know if he's going to start this year at safety, but um, the two deep looks pretty good there.
1: Yeah. Well, then, and then yeah, Alex Austin, another one, Jojo Forrest. Mm-hmm. I, well, and let's
0: not forget him. Isaiah Dunn, who is Dunn. The yeah, best. I mean, I mean yeah. he has statistically been the pat, the best pass defender on this team for the last couple of years leading the way in, in breakups. Um, you know, a, a fun fact about about Dunn is that he doesn't have a single interception in his career. But he has led the team in past breakups, I believe, each of the last two years. So I think he's due. He is due. Um, I, I, I think he probably starts this year, considering he's a senior now, and he's proven that he's you know he's an absolute competitor back there. And uh, I expect him to finally break out and get a couple of picks and really make a name for himself.
1: Yeah, I there is. There's so much, I think what we're seeing now, finally, in, in year three under Coach Smith and his staff is the fact that... We're seeing depth. We're seeing depth, kind of in, in all positions, um, and it's such a nice problem to have. I guess um, to have have the depth. So you know, talking about that, I, nobody's talking about Oregon State to be in any kind of mix for. And I'm not saying that they're going to win the Pac-12 North or anything like that. But do you think they surprise some people?
0: Hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, we've seen we've seen betting lines come out with an over under of one and a half. One and ESPN a half. ESPN has. ESPN has them at 1.9 wins for the season. I honestly just, I think that that's outrageous. I think that's selling them way short. Um, we've done game-by-game predictions at Beaver Blitz already, and you and I both have them getting at least three wins, if not more. I, I really see a scenario in which they could go five and two.
1: I, I know. Uh, see, so you and I talked about this off the air, and its it's so crazy because I can see something where they win two games, and I can also see a scenario where they win five.
0: There's just a whole lot of toss-up games in the Pac-12. I think we've seen it the last couple of years with the amount of parity in this conference. And Oregon State has now elevated itself to a position where it's middle of the pack at worst, I think. And it's it's gonna be it's going to compete with every team in this conference. I don't think we're gonna see the blowouts of what happened against Utah last year at the 52 to sevens. I think that's that's done. There's no more of that. Um, I, I don't see any gimme games on the schedule, but I also don't see any games where I think, oh, they, they don't stand a chance.
1: What – how much stock are you putting – I think – okay, I won't say what I think. How much stock are you putting in the fact that Oregon State had no coaching change this offseason without, you know, with only having four spring practices? How much stock are you putting in that? Or do you think that's an over-talked-about over stat?
0: No, I think that's huge in any year, but especially this year, considering the shutdown and the amount of time that uh, coaches didn't have access to their teams on the field. Uh, that's that's huge for a new coaching staff going in at, like, let's say a Washington state. You have so much to install um, given, you know, like Rolovich's scheme is very similar to Mike Leach, but still, there's there's just so much that you have to install and, so many relationships you have to build. Uh, that's why you see a lot of coaches struggle in their first year, even when they have a normal offseason. So in, in a year like this, where you have so limited access, I think it's huge. I think getting Washington state in week one is, is big for Oregon state. I think they can really make a statement. And uh, yeah, I, I think the continuity on Oregon state staff really can't be overstated. The importance of what, of what I, that brings. I, did
1: same, I didn't want to give away my thought, but I, I just, There's so much areas I didn't even consider really, you know, terminology and such is, is one thing, but one of the coaches brought it up this past week, how important it is, I think it was Coach Smith, how important it is that the coaching staff knows the players and the players know the coaches. So, and I mean that in that the players, the coaches know what buttons to push on these players and they know what they're capable of. It's not that learning process. Um, the players know what the coaches expect and there's not that wondering where you stand kind of thing. So um, I, I agree. I think it's kind of the, it's not talked about a lot, but I think it's going to help Oregon State. What do you think of the Oregon State schedule and that they got Utah is as their cross, cross uh, game?
0: I think there's obviously a lot of teams in the South that you would have rather seen them get,
1: especially <laughs> considering the games
0: in Salt Lake City. <laughs> yeah. Um, considering the games in Salt Lake City, you know, that adds to the difficulty. Utah is really, I think, the wild card team of the conference, just in the sense that they bring essentially nobody back. You know, they lost their star quarterback, their star running back, and I believe eight, maybe nine guys from that defense. So you, you look at the strength of the Utah team the last two years, it's been defense, quarterback, running back, all gone. So Kyle Whittingham has recruited fairly well the last couple of years. You know, they've been in the top half of the conference in the, in the recruiting rankings, but it's tough to replace that much yeah. at the same time.
1: So uh, we're heading into week two. What are you hoping to hear um, this week from, uh, from our meetings with the, with the staff? What, what are you hoping to hear as far as the team? Okay, so Carter, heading into week two uh, of of uh, fall camp, what are you hoping – to hear this week?
0: Huh, that's a good question. I think we we've heard more a lot about where guys stand entering camp and not so much about who has made progress throughout camp. So I'm curious to hear about you know like let's say the running backs. Um, how has Jamar gotten better since the first day of camp or the receivers I think is a big one for me. I want to know who has looked good outside of Zariah Beast, and we've heard his name. We know that he's he's been a standout but has Tyjohn Lindsay shown that he can get open downfield? Has a guy like Colby Taylor shown that he can come up and make plays downfield and not just be a possession guy five five yards downfield? I want to hear more about how guys have progressed from day one of camp to we're going on day eight now. Uh, I think that'd be really interesting to hear from the coaches.
1: I think we're kind of getting into that time now. I think this, this last scrimmage on Saturday was used for the young guys to really kind of get some time and, and see, but – we're getting to the point now where they're going to start kind of nailing down that two deep depth chart. So um, I, I want to hear and see kind of who, who's the two deep, you know, what, what do they look like? How does that, how's that shaking out? I mean, the, the part that I feel kind of torn on is we don't know who's practicing and who's not, because I feel that they've been very secretive on that. Um, we don't know who's been out with, I mean, we keep getting that they have, there's some bumps and bruises and, but nothing serious, but we don't know who's out there practicing. So it'll be interesting to see kind of who's in that too deep. That will add a, I think a whole new level of of questions once we, we hear kind of where that
0: is. Yeah. That's one of the big things about our ability to get onto the sidelines in fall camp is we can see who misses a day or two here and there because, you know, coach Smith has said that he will let us know if they have a long-term injury because that's where the big noteworthy and newsworthy items come from. But, honestly in fall camp if you miss a week due to a quote-unquote minor injury a hamstring or something like that that could I mean that could set you back a little bit in terms of securing a spot
1: yeah I mean you bring up the, a good point about guys that you know might miss a week that we might have seen right we might have seen them walking around with a you know a crutch or something and, and then but they're or they're riding the bikes or they're most of the time those guys are the guys that are riding the bikes and doing some training with with coach McDonald and his staff we also don't know, there's a lot of quiet stuff going on with the whole COVID testing. Um, you know, We've heard and confirmed that at least one player has tested positive right before camp started. There more than likely is, is more, but nobody will, from Oregon State, will confirm or deny that. So um, how will that affect? You know, the players that are having to quarantine, how will they look when they actually come back?
0: Yeah, obviously there's a lot of confidentiality that comes along with that so we're not going to get the specifics of it but uh, I can tell you that it will impact some of those guys because that's potentially a week or even two that you could be sidelined with some of this and when you take contra- contact tracing into effect and everything uh, one guy testing positive turns into a couple of guys possibly missing some time so We've seen it across the country with games getting postponed and coaches and players testing positive and everything. The Pac-12 getting daily testing is huge because you can identify this stuff early, limit it to one or two guys before you get the 14-player outbreak or whatever it was at Florida. Huge, huge for the Pac-12 to get that done, and that's and that's the reason that we're playing football right now. Um, well, the false so, positives
1: are something that or false false positives are going to be. Interesting, too, after seeing what happened with Nick Saban. Mm -hmm. But again, if you're getting tested every day, let's say you're positive today, and then the next three days you test negative, might be something to watch. Anyway, Carter, it is so good to see your face, because I've missed fall camp. We usually hang out. We get to be best pals during fall camp. So I've missed seeing your face. Um, But we're back. The uh, damn podcast is back, and uh, look forward to uh, another full season.
0: Good to get some normalcy back in our lives.
1: Definitely, definitely.